Hello and welcome to the Football Collective Podcast, a football research podcast for debate, discussion, highlighting members of the collective, their research and all things football within the world of academia. I'd like to welcome onto the podcast today Dr Stacey Pope, an Associate Professor in the Department of Sport and Exercise Sciences at Durham University. How are you, Stacey? Oh, hi, Joss. I'm good, thank you. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much for coming on, first of all. Great, thank you. Um, so, as we do on all of the podcasts, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, a bit about uh, the research that you've done and how you came into academia? And the- Yeah, so um, my journey into academia, um, I was an undergraduate student at uh, University of Leicester in sociology and um, it was there that I met, I'm sure most people will know, uh, John Williams um, who was was one of the uh, uh, lecturers at the time and um, that kind of was the first time that I got interested in studying football. Um, I'd always been a a massive football fan um, and played the sports, uh, but that was the first time that I realised, uh, you know, that you could study it academically, and then I went on to do a master's with John, and um, eventually uh, was fortunate enough to get ESRC funding to stay on and do a, a funded PhD with him, and that was kind of, kind of my, uh, yeah, how I, I guess how I ended up uh, falling into that area in, in many ways. You've got some quite exciting current research uh, together with, funded by the AHRC. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this has been um, building on um, work that I've been doing pretty much uh, since my uh, PhD, which was in the area of uh, female sports fans. Um, I, I did a um, kind of a, a monograph, the feminisation of sports fandom, um, which came out has been the result of a number of years uh, researching that topic and then applied to do further work um, through the AHRC um, to do some work on female sports fans, um, looking at uh, sports fandom in the northeast. So I'm using the city of Newcastle as a, as a case study site and um, my work is really aimed to tackle head-on, I guess, the lack of work on women as supporters. Um, there's a lot of research out there that, as I found um, when I was first looking at this topic, focused on male fans, uh, men's experiences, but a, a lack of work in, in the area on women. And so that's been sort of the driving force for, for what, I, what I've been researching so far. The AHRC project is building on that um, to look at women's... Um, memories and experiences um, in earlier decades and into the contemporary period. Um, so, we've, I mean, if we don't look at, um, kind of capture some of this knowledge and uh, women's experiences in, uh, in earlier decades, then unfortunately this is something that will just be lost to time and there just there hasn't really been any focus on, um, on uh, not much work around that area. I'm also interested in uh, in looking at the importance of um, fandom in in in, the, in this local region, um, and another sort of uh, additional area of the work is to look at um, 
something that I've been guilty of in my own research. There hasn't been really um, much work on fans of women's football. So um, I've teamed up with uh, Alex Colvin and uh, we are also looking at, um, with the up-and-coming Women's World Cup, we're, we're going to be doing some work around fans of the uh, England national team uh, and the ways in which uh, supporters uh, connect with the sports, uh, their experiences as, as fans of the national team and uh, looking to kind of really address that gap in, uh, in knowledge. Just just before we move on to the question, I know you mentioned Alex Colvin. I just want to say congratulations to her for completing a PhD. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Alex Colvin. Dr. Alex, Dr. Alex Colvin, congratulations from, from us here. Um, she, she's great, Alex. I, I love her to bits. Um, so, yeah, big shout-out to Alex. Um, so, when we're talking about football fandom, there is really no bigger pin- uh, pinnacle for athletes and fans than the World Cup. Um, and the World Cup coming up on the 7th of June, so literally in a matter of days now. What do you think we're going to see differently in terms of media representation for both fans and athletes? Well, I am cautiously optimistic um, that we will see an improvement um, in the media coverage. Uh, so one of the research areas that I've looked at in relation to women's football has been a, a paper that I co-authored with uh, Kate Petty, where we've um, we looked at the 20, media coverage around the 2015 uh, FIFA Women's World Cup and we argued that that event served as a tipping point in the coverage of women's sport and we st- first started to see a shift away from the institutional sexism that kind of up until that point arguably um, dominated uh, coverage in, in women's sport or lack of coverage of women's sport. So we've argued that that tournament served as a... a um, we began to see a new age of media representation, a new age of coverage of women's sport, and a shift towards greater gender equality. Um, not only were there numerous articles uh, published on the Women's World Cup at that time, uh, but also, uh, you know, when in previous tournaments and mega events, there were typically completely invisible. Um, but also the reporting was largely positive and focused on the sporting skill of the players and the achievements of the England women's team. So I'm, as I say, cautiously optimistic that we will continue that momentum, accepting that, you know, quite frankly, the uh, existing uh, coverage on day-to-day media representations of women's football outside of mega events is, well, quite disgraceful uh, and just isn't there, it doesn't exist. But at least for the duration of this tournament, I'm optimistic that we'll, we'll see more media coverage. I mean, it just seems to be such a great platform that we can then build on um, and drive forward. I'm looking forward to the World Cup. Um, it should be a really good event, um, especially with... with the increased coverage that we're seeing in normal games now. Um, so, yeah, the 7th of June, if, if everyone's looking forward to that, I'd definitely yeah. tune in. Yeah, yeah, um, and I'm looking forward to going out to the uh, England's opening match as well against uh, Scotland, so that'll be uh, brilliant. an amazing experience, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So one of so. the one of the themes that I picked up within some of your research uh, as a big issue was um, sexualising female athletes and fans. Um not only within the media, but within normal society that we see on social media as well, um, which seems to be quite a big issue in terms of representing athletes as athletes and not um, as 
a sexual object, um, and that's something in your research. Can can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I guess the angle that I've been uh, exploring from a fandom perspective is um, the well, typical, as you say, sexualization of uh, of women as fans. So one of the things that I've argued is even in media coverage, for example, if you looked at a big uh, uh, the, the men's World Cup. Uh, the media coverage around that tends to focus um, on women in non-athletic roles. Um, it might be focusing on, you know, players' wives, girlfriends, um, wags, um, the, rather than um, actually reflecting the diversity of uh, female fans, female sports fans. And if, if you type into, not you know, you just type into Google and female fans, female sports fans, and you just get up numerous sexualised images of women. So it really is an issue and it kind of taps into some of the things that I've been arguing about in my research in terms of the ways in which male sports fans are always constructed as, or typically constructed as authentic, real sports fans and women always or typically constructed as inauthentic, uh, inferior sports fans. I think the way in which um, this sexualisation of female fans happens, it kind of, it, it all helps to reinforce um that hierarchy um, is typically accompanied by often sexist media reporting. So again, if you have a if you have a men's World Cup tournament, it, the the newspaper coverage can often focus on tips for World Cup widows who are trying to survive the world that World Cup period, whilst men are busy engrossed in the tournament. So you've got some really strong gendered stereotypes that seem to be played out um, in that arena. Uh, and all of that is kind of reinforcing the idea of football as a men's domain, um, the World Cup, the men's World Cup as a male spectacle, um, etc., etc. So there is definitely a need um, to move away from that, um, as I say, and that would be one of the things that I would really argue that there needs to be more media coverage to reflect the range of uh, female sports fans, um, including women of different ages, different um, of ethnic groups. Um, and portray women in more ordinary or everyday images um, of female fans instead of the camera always seeming to hone in on highly sexualised images um, of, of young women. Um, well, a big issue with this is uh, authenticity, it seems, uh, one of the big overarching themes of this. And especially this season and from the World Cup last year, the Men's World Cup, um, you see people like Alex Scott that are sat in the pundit's chair that have been great and have offered a lot of valuable insight and obviously have um, lots of experience in playing football and been very successful within the career. Um, but you, you see a lot of abuse and uh, it was something that they spoke about on Match of the Day about being uh, Alex being a victim of abuse and some saying that it's just tokenism that she's on there. Um, that is quite a, massive, a big issue it seems. And um, What do you think is the, the bigger cause of that? Well, I guess we could say that, uh, unfortunately, football is uh, sometimes seen as one of the last male bastions and women, whilst things are getting better, women entering that space, um, seemingly it, it can be threatening, um, not to all men, obviously, but for um, it, it can raise, uh, it can help to chip away at football as a, as a bastion of, uh, of uh, masculinity. So I think whilst um, women in other roles perhaps are less, maybe 
men might feel less threatened to have a female pundit who clearly knows what she's talking about, who clearly has played the sport at a high level um, and is a, in, in one of those kind of authority roles in, in commenting on the game really um, serves to, for some people, that would undermine um, football as, as a male domain and yeah, without wanting to uh, be <laughs> um, read too much into that, but it, yeah, there is a sense of you could argue that uh, football has served as that as that space where those behaviours kind of tend to go on a bit more than in, in, in other areas of society, and it kind of is being almost clung onto as this last male bastion, this last male preserve, and then when you have someone like, as I say, Alex Scott coming on, who's yeah, probably been much better than a lot of the pundits at the at the, uh, at the Men's World Cup. And, you know, nobody criticises... I can think of plenty, I won't name them, but I can think of plenty of pundits that absolutely... Uh, I'm sure they do my head in, I'm sure they do a lot of other people's I, heads. I, I they could, don't get the I same name, criticism. I could name Graham Soonis, definitely. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, but horrendous. Isn't subject to the same um, types no. of uh, criticism. Uh, and you, you see it, don't you, as well on um, Sky Sports, if you look at the, um, even the Soccer Saturday setup, I think occasionally, um, sometimes midweek, I may be wrong on this, but they may have a female there, but I believe, certainly the last few times that I've watched it, um, Soccer Saturday, it's an all-male lineup, isn't it? Yeah, the um, same, sort of, same sort of group. It seems to be quite, in my view, anyway, quite... Um, narrow, um, shall we say, masculinity that's being uh, promoted there, perhaps, uh, with, the, with the types of, uh, even the, you know, the types of men that are, are, are represented on a show like that. So I guess somebody like Alex Scott really uh, threatens to bring that infrastructure and that boys club crashing down, and perhaps that's why she's been subjected to so much abuse, um, which is obviously completely unacceptable. Uh, but I suspect that might be at the heart of some of that. So let's hope Alex Scott keeps doing her thing because I've really enjoyed her this season um, and I hope that she's starting to pave the way for more uh, female pundits that are coming into the game. Um, oh, definitely, definitely. And I think as well, um, so there's been two things that came out of my work in terms of the authenticity question um, that female fans would uh complain about in terms of how your authenticity as a supporter uh, is challenged. So whereas there's always an assumption that men will automatically know everything that there is to know about football, women are continuously under pressure to prove that they have this sporting knowledge and um, have to, in the words of some of my respondents, you know, think about how far you stick your neck out uh, without wanting to undo any good work that you've done improving your knowledge of the sport and two ways there were two main ways that you could undermine a woman's knowledge um, that came out one was to suggest that she's only at football because she fancies the um, male players and has a heterosexual interest in the, in the male players um, the other was to question her knowledge of the game and to suggest that you know classic you don't understand the offside law whereas Men are always automatically assumed, as I say, they don't have their knowledge questioned in the, in the same manner. So it's really, really awful, but 
when you do have somebody like Alex Scott in that sort of position, she's under you know way more pressure than anybody else because whereas if a if a male pundit makes a makes a call and it's the incorrect call, it, nobody really would pick up on it. But if a woman does, it's oh, it's because she's a woman. She doesn't really understand football, you know. And you've got that always up against that, which puts a lot when there's especially when there's so few women in those kinds of roles um, that then you have that additional pressure um, to deal with. So, just for one final question, uh, I think that this ties in nicely to what we've been talking about. Um, where do you think we'll be within maybe three or even ten years on this very subject? Do you think we'll, we'll see more of a transition between uh, females coming into the male game and maybe um, we're going to see a bit more acceptance, maybe some female managers? Um, and, and what do you think needs to be done, uh, the necessary steps maybe to bridge that gap, um, to get us to somewhere within ten years where... It is normalised to have a, a, a female manager maybe within the Premier League. Um, hmm, that's quite a big question. Um, just thinking um, quite broadly. Uh, well, one way of tackling this to make sure you have female role models in the game as well would be, uh, which I don't think will happen, but would be a good one. One way to ensure this would be you have quotas, you, know, you need to make sure you have representation. As I've said, I think the media coverage, there has been a change definitely in, in the media coverage and the way in which uh, women's sport is being reported. That may be um, a response to, you know, if we went back to 2011 and, um, you know, when you didn't have any um, women making the shortlist of the sports personality, you had the Andy Gray and Richard Key saga on Sky Sports. Now, I think there's been a conscious effort to change what was a very negative image um, at that point and we are getting more women in but I think the only way you're going to get more women into running clubs and in senior roles and represented more in the media is to, if, is to bring in uh, potentially bring in quotas um, we definitely need to see more media exposure of women's football without shadow of a doubt and I'm not just there talking about the, the uh, World Cups and mega events that can act as a tipping point, but just in the everyday um, coverage. I'd like to see sexism taken uh, a lot more seriously than it currently is. I think we're still in a situation where, yes, we've had the anti-homophobia um, campaigns, and racism campaigns, and they're all really, really vitally important. But I still think that there's a sense that when you do get sexism in the football stadium, it's not taken, it's a bit of a joke, and it's just dismissed as banter. And all of that then serves to undermine what are women doing here and that hierarchy that we spoke about earlier around um, authenticity and gender issues. Um, better conditions for female players, uh, improving salaries, uh, better pay um, would be another area. Um, this could probably go on, but I'd be... I'm cautiously optimistic again that we things will continue to improve, uh, but that it's not going to go without um, you know. Every time you take a step forward, we get a bit of a backlash, so it won't be without its challenges. Um, so I'd just like to thank you for coming on. Um, I really hope you enjoy the World Cup, um, and I hope you enjoy collecting the research. Um, and hopefully England do bring it home. Show the men yeah. how. Show the men how it's done. Actually, follow through with it this time. Um, so. Once again, thank you very much, Deja. Brilliant, thank you.